Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fulman Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're going to be discussing chapters 14, 15, and 16. Yay! Mega episode, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> There's a lot of content. Yeah. yeah. It'll be a little bit long. Mm-hmm. I hope everybody has their drinks ready for this yeah. sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like drinks for hydration and uh, drinks for uh, morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as usual, we're going to be doing our uh, summary slash recap of the chapters and then uh, go into our discussion. Woo. Yay. All right, so chapter 14 opens with us back at the train station, and Winry's here. Yay! Yay! I'm happy that Winry was here. (laughs) I'm always happy when Winry's here. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) She complains about how uncomfortable the long ride was and remarks on how crowded Central is while looking for the person she's supposed to meet up with. Ed told me there'd be someone waiting for me who I'd recognize right away, but who? And she trails off as she spots the massive form of Major Armstrong looming over the crowd. (laughs) Oh, she says. (laughs) Winry calls out to Armstrong, and they politely greet each other. She thanks him for taking care of the Elric brothers and says that Ed should have come to pick her up, but Armstrong explains that he can't go anywhere right now. She asks why that is, since Ed wouldn't tell her over the phone, and Armstrong tries to explain gently, but his vague description of Ed being taken in just makes Winry think he got arrested. He wasn't taken in there, Armstrong quickly clarifies, and then Winry is startled to learn that he's in the hospital. Over at the East headquarters, Roy is taking a very important call on the private military line. A very important call in which Hughes gushes to him about his adorable daughter and amazing wife. (laughs) They snark back and forth for a bit, and then Hughes gets to the point and asks for an update on the scar situation. Roy explains that he's still at large, though a lot of bodies have come out of the explosion, and there haven't been any sightings since then, so most believe he's dead. Hughes asks if the Elric's guards are going to be dismissed, and Roy says that since they're in Central now, it's up to whoever's in charge over there. Looking suddenly cunning, Hughes remarks that the people from command in charge of managing the state alchemists have been killed off, so the department is short-staffed. Sounds like Colonel Mustang's invitation to Central might come sooner than expected, he says. Central, huh? Says Roy with a smirk. That might not be so bad. Mm-hmm. Hughes warns him that'll make a lot of enemies joining command at his age. Make sure you have as many people around you as possible who understand and support you, he advises seriously. So hurry up and get a wife. <laughs> Will you shut up? Roy shouts, slamming the phone down. Hawkeye tells him to be gentler when hanging up. <laughs> Hughes also gets scolded on his end by the woman logging use of the military phone lines. Was that another personal call to brag about your family, she asks, annoyed, and warns him that the higher-ups would cut his salary if they heard his calls. It'll take more than a salary cut to dampen my love, he declares, laughing, and on his way out, he realizes he forgot to tell Roy about Ed being in the hospital. At said hospital, Winry has arrived and is horrified to see Ed wrapped head-to-toe in bandages like a mummy. (laughs) Ed explains that he was only half this badly injured before I worried Armstrong's crushing and tearful embrace, which he shows no shame over. The comedy bit done, Ed removes his excess bandages and is back to the state we saw him in last chapter. And Winry still looks worried, saying his injuries are still really severe. Ed tries to brush it off, but Winry clenches her hands together and looks down. You were hurt because your automail failed you, she says. It's my fault for not being thorough enough when I rebuilt it. Everyone stares, and Ed looks around, startled. Is that what she was worried about? He thinks, blushing slightly. I didn't know she could be so cute. He hurries to reassure her that it was his own fault for being so rough with it, and that actually it breaking when it did kept him from getting even more beat up, so it's nothing for her to worry about. With the revelation that everything turned out okay despite the missing screw, Winry quickly jumps on that escape and talks instead about her fee for traveling out here to make repairs. <laughs> She's not cute at all, Ed grumpily decides. It's love. Yes. <laughs> Armstrong has a laugh at the children's antics and tells Ed not to get too excited, as he needs to rest up and eat healthy to make a full recovery. 
Ed grumps that he knows, but Winry notices that the meal tray at his bedside still has a full bottle of milk. You didn't drink your milk, she tells him, and Ed quickly turns away as Winry turns to glare at him. I hate milk, he says. Ah, that's why you're always going to be the size of a pea. Shut up, I'm not going to drink some opaque white liquid that was secreted by a cow. <laughs> as the two launch into what is clearly a well-worn argument between them, Al silently stands up and leaves the room. Ed and Winry pause in their bickering to stare after him, confused. A little later, Ed lies on his stomach while Winry sits on a stool beside the hospital bed to do repairs on his arm. They talk for a bit about how their journey has been going, poorly that is, and Ed mentions that Al has been acting a little strange, not talking much and seeming lost in his own thoughts. Winry has no insight to offer when he asks, and Brasha's suggestions of him being in shock from when he punched him and being lovesick are both soundly dismissed. Winry finishes the repairs and Ed happily flexes his arm, declaring it good as new, while she chides him that he still has to let the rest of his body heal. Then the door slams open. Hey, Ed, I heard you snuck a girl into your room, Hughes greets loudly. <laughs> Ed face plants off the bed and again strenuously insists, she's just my automail mechanic. So you hooked up with your mechanic, huh? Hughes says, <laughs> and Ed rage despairs in the background. <laughs> Settling down, Ed covers his face and wearily introduces Winry and Hughes. Hughes says that he had some time off today since he's been having Porcheska work overtime. He wanted to check on Ed and also update him on the scar situation, saying his bodyguards will be dismissed soon. Ed is very happy to hear that news, but Winry is understandably alarmed that he needed bodyguards in the first place, and asks just what kind of danger he's been in. N nothing really. Don't worry about it, he says hurriedly. Winry glares, but then sighs when it becomes clear no answer is forthcoming. Figures, you and your brother never tell me anything. She packs up her tools and declares that she's leaving to find a place to stay for the night. Ed says she can stay in a military hotel for cheap if she drops his name, but she doesn't love the sound of that. So Hughes offers to let her stay at his house. She politely tries to decline, but Hughes insists that his family would be delighted to have her, and then drags her off with a laugh, just like he did Cheska. <laughs> On the way to the Hughes residence, there's a shopping trip, and Hughes explains to Winry, who is now carrying an enormous teddy bear, that it's his daughter's third birthday today, and these are all gifts for her. They arrive at the house and are greeted by Hughes' wife, Gracia, and daughter, Alicia, and he's right, she's pretty adorable. <laughs> Winry asks if it's really alright for her to be there on his daughter's birthday, and all three of them smile at her. The more the merrier, right? Welcome to the family. The birthday party is cute and happy, and Winry obviously fits in well. She especially endears herself to Alicia by fixing a defective mechanical mouse toy she got as a present. You're a toy doctor, the little girl declares, and Winry laughs and says that's close. Hughes asks her about being Ed's mechanic, and Winry says they grew up together in the same town, and she's always been close to Ed now. Knowing Ed, he must have caused you a lot of trouble, huh? Hughes says with a laugh. Winry laughs too. Not really trouble, but he does make me worry a lot, she says. He'll come back every once in a while and his arm will be completely trashed. Her cheerful expression falters, and her real worries start to slip out. I came out here today to fix his arm. I didn't expect to find him hospitalized with severe injuries, and Al seems to have a lot on his mind, too. It was just two weeks ago that I made that brand new automail for Ed, and when I saw it today, it was in really bad shape. Not only that, but his whole body was covered in wounds. It makes me wonder what kind of lives they lead, but they never tell me anything about it. It's not that they didn't want to tell you, so much as they didn't think there was a need to tell you, Hughes says. They must have assumed you would understand without them having to explain everything. Winry says that there are some things she needs to be told in order to understand, and Hughes says that men express themselves more through actions than words. He removes his glasses to clean them, and with a somewhat wistful expression adds, They would rather shoulder their pain themselves than cause their loved ones to worry. That's why they won't say anything about it. When they decide to tell you their troubles, that's when you'll need to be there for them. Isn't that enough? Winry doesn't look very comforted, but the conversation is interrupted by some little boys coming over to play with Alicia, and Hughes going into violently overprotective dad mode. <laughs> <laughs> After the party, Winry tries to take her leave, saying she's already imposed enough and will find somewhere else to stay for the night, but she's convinced to stay by how attached Alicia has gotten to her, saying she almost feels like she has a little sister now. The next day at the hospital, Ed is having another face-off with his nemesis, Milk. <laughs> he glares and gripes and even asks Al to drink it for him before remembering that Al physically cannot do that. 
Big brother, you still have most of your real body, Al says. You need to take care of it. Just drink it. Ed grumps, I'm not going to die just because I don't drink milk, and sets to work on the rest of his breakfast. Out in the hall, we see Winry and Hughes greeting Ross, where she's posted outside the door while Ed continues to talk. He complains that everyone still calls him small, even though he is growing. You know, Al, he says, you're lucky to have a big body. Al clenches his fist, and just as Winry steps through the door, he jumps to his feet and yells, I never asked for this damn body. And this is one of my favorite pages in the series, this little, like, split-screen reaction of the three mm-hmm. <laughs> that we end the chapter on. Chapter 15 picks up right where we left off. Ed and Winry stare. Al's arm shakes, and he repeats, I never asked for this damn body. Ed sheepishly starts to apologize, claiming the blame for everything and saying he wants to get Al back to normal as soon as possible. But Al's simmering doubts over the last several days have reached their peak. As the others look on in shock, he snaps at Ed, asking how he's supposed to believe that's even possible. What am I supposed to believe in this empty shell of a body, he demands. According to alchemic theory, human beings are composed of a physical body, mind, and soul. But has anyone ever verified that in an experiment? Memories are nothing but data when you really think about it. It should be possible to artificially construct them. What are you saying, Al? Ed asks, his expression growing alarmed. You told me once that there was something you were too afraid to tell me, Al continues. Maybe what you wanted to tell me was that my soul and my memories are all fake and they were created artificially. Well, big brother, can you prove to me that a person named Alphonse Elric really existed? Isn't it possible that Winry Granny and everyone else is lying to me? So, big brother, what do you have to say to that? Ed slams his fist down on his tray, rattling the dishes. You were keeping all that bottled up this whole time, Ed asks, his head down. Is that what you wanted to tell me? I see. With a sad look, he stands and walks out the door. Winry runs to the door and shouts after him, but Ed is already down the hallway. She turns to Al instead and swings a wrench at his head, <laughs> clanging loudly against the armor. You idiot, she shouts. What are you doing? Al asks, startled. Winry pants in anger, then begins to cry. Al, you're such an idiot, she yells again. The thing that Ed was too afraid to talk to you about was whether you blame him for what happened. We see a flashback of Ed recovering from his automail surgery under Winry and Panaka's watch. He is feverish and sweating with a cloth over his eyes, and he talks in a shaky voice. It's my fault that Al got stuck with that body. He can't eat, he can't sleep, he can't even feel pain. He probably blames me for what happened. Winry and Panaco hurry to assure him that Al would never, but tears begin to fall down Ed's cheek. I'm afraid, he says. I'm too afraid to ask him. That's why I have to get him back to normal as soon as possible. Back in the present, Winry and Al have both sunk to the floor, Winry continuing to weakly batter Al's armor with her wrench as she speaks through her tears. He used to cry himself to sleep every night from the pain and fever caused by his automail surgery, and then he went and said what you did. What idiot would risk his own life to create a fake younger brother? Winry stops and wipes her eyes. All you guys have is each other. Al looks down, silent. Then Winry points toward the door. Go after him, she commands. Um, okay, Al says, slowly getting to his feet. What are you waiting for? Run! Yes, ma'am! And Al runs. <laughs> <laughs> Al finds Ed up on the roof, leaning against the railing near a line of sheets drying in the breeze. He hesitates, then starts to talk, but Ed interrupts before he can get more than a word out. Now that I think about it, Ed says without turning around, my body feels kind of out of shape because we haven't sparred in a while. Al tries to protest that his wounds aren't even healed yet, but Ed ignores him and launches into the fight. Al stays on the defensive and keeps trying to interrupt, and Ed takes advantage of Al's hesitation and the nearby laundry to toss a sheet over his head and knock him down, claiming a quick victory. Heh, that's the first time I've ever beaten you, Al, Ed says, sitting down beside him. You cheated, Al complains, pulling the sheet off his head, but Ed flops down on his back next to him and says that a win is a win. We sure have gotten in a lot of fights since we were little, Ed says. Now that I think about it, it was always over something dumb. They begin to list their childhood fights and who won them. Fights over the top bunk, toys, snacks, and even over who would marry Winry, which Ed sputters that he doesn't remember. <laughs> Turns out Al won that one, but they both got rejected. <laughs> After a pause, Ed asks, So you really think all those memories are fake? In East City, you told me you would do anything to get your original body back. Are you telling me that what you felt then was fake too? 
No, it wasn't fake, Al says. The two brothers each clench a determined fist as they reaffirm their resolve to keep going forward no matter what, to not start doubting themselves. They bump their fists together and declare, let's both get a lot stronger. From inside the stairwell to the roof, Winry and Hughes watch the reconciliation. I guess there are some things that you have to say out loud to understand, Winry says with a gentle smile. Hughes smiles as well. I guess you're right. With all that drama settled, Ed and Al convene with Armstrong and Hughes to discuss everything they learned at the Fifth Laboratory. Soul armor guards, human sacrifices, philosopher stones, Ouroboros tattoos, and more. <laughs> I don't remember that childhood <laughs> rhyme. <laughs> I was thinking it was like a like an advertisement. Oh, Call I was now thinking like, throw in a, <laughs> like a throw in an esoteric symbol, uh, yeah. free, free esoteric symbol on your door. for. <laughs> They decide there's too much unexplained for it to just be an experiment to produce the Philosopher's Stone and start to split up the task of looking deeper. Hughes volunteering to look at the criminal records and Armstrong deciding to search for anyone who had helped Marco with his research. Out in the hall, Brosh is trying to listen in and Ross is very resolutely trying not to. <laughs> she does not want to get involved in any more dangerous assignments, thank you very much. A decision that is probably only strengthened by the sudden arrival of none other than the leader of the entire country, Fuhrer Bradley, here to see Edward Elric. Dun-dun-dun. I know. <laughs> I patch and all. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone inside Ed's room is just as comically shocked by this visitor, but Bradley <laughs> smiles jovially and tells him not to make a fuss, even presenting Ed with a get-well gift of melon, which does not make anyone any less confused. <laughs> Bradley grows suddenly terrifyingly serious, though, when he asks Armstrong about his snooping around military command and Ed about his search for the Philosopher's Stone. How much do you know? He asks a very wary Ed. A great deal depends upon your answer. The room is tense and silent. Then Bradley laughs and claims he's kidding. He says he's aware of suspicious activity within the military lately, and he wants to get to the bottom of it. He looks over Armstrong's list of Philosopher's Stone researchers and tells them that all of them disappeared shortly before the Lab 5 explosion, and their current locations are unknown. The enemy is always one step ahead of us, he says, and presently, even with my vast information network, I don't know our enemy's motives or the extent to which they've infiltrated the military. Sir, are you saying it could be dangerous to continue investigating this matter? Hughes asks. Bradley confirms that that is what he's getting at. He tells the group that he's decided to trust them, and that for their own safety, they should speak of it to no one and avoid sticking their necks into it more. You must be discreet in your actions and assume that the entire military is the enemy, he says urgently. However, when the time comes, I will call on you, so make sure that you're prepared. He smiles again, and Hughes and Armstrong quickly salute. Then Bradley hears his bodyguards calling for him, and he leaps through the window to avoid them, <laughs> while Ed and company stare after him in a wave of, did that really just happen? Who do you think he is? Clarissa explains it all? Like, what's up with <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the friend's name was from said show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Winry arrives and asks why everyone is acting so weird. Oh, nothing, Ed says. A storm just passed through. <laughs> Winry doesn't ask, and instead hands over the train tickets Ed asked her to buy for them. The boys are going to Dublith, a town to the south, and when Al points it out on a map, Winry gets very excited. Look, here, right before Dublith, she says, pointing to the map herself. Rush Valley, the automobile engineer's mecca. I've always wanted to go there. She turns to Ed and flails her arms eagerly, begging to be taken along. <laughs> Ed grumps that she should just go by herself, and then they bicker over travel expenses for a bit before Al chimes in, what's the harm? It is on the way. Ed gives in, and Winry cheers. She happily leaves the room to call Panaco and let her know she's making a stop before coming home. Al laughs over how energetic she is, and Hughes puts a hand on Ed's shoulder and says that she'll make a great wife someday. <laughs> Don't tell me that, Ed snaps. Later, the three board their train, seen off by Armstrong, Ross, and Brosh, as well as Gracia and Alicia Hughes. The boys tell Winry that they've decided to visit their old teacher, though they seem genuinely afraid they might be killed for doing so. The train leaves Central as Winry wonders what kind of what kind of person their teacher really is. As night falls in Central, Hughes sits at a table in the court martial office and reads a newspaper article on the riots in Lior, discussing the situation with another officer. He takes note of the high death toll and sighs that the East Area has been full of trouble lately between the Ishvalans and all these riots. 
The other officer says that the North and the West have been having their share of riots and border skirmishes too, and jokingly suggests this could be the start of a revolution. Hughes frowns and says nothing, then suddenly stands up, a look of shock on his face. He announces that he's going to the records room to check up on some old files. In the darkened records room, a disbelieving Hughes is cross-referencing multiple files and notes. The Ishvalan Civil War, the riots in Lior, and, he mutters to himself, he grits his teeth, beads of sweat appearing on his forehead. Who the hell would think up something like this? I need to tell the Major and the Fuhrer about this right away. The door slams suddenly shut, and Hughes looks up to find Lust standing there. Pleased to meet you, she says with a smile. Or should I say, goodbye? Hughes nervously takes note of her Ouroboros tattoo, and Lust extends her talons. You know too much, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, she says, and then they both move at once. Lust, pierce all the, Lust pierces all the way through Hughes' shoulder, and he manages to pull a small knife from his belt and throw it in her direction. He throws himself through the doors and out into the hallway, then stumbles to his feet, clutching his bleeding shoulder. Damn it, he mutters, staggering away down the hall. In the records room, Lust sits up and pulls the knife from where it embedded deep in her forehead. I thought you were the desk work type, Lieutenant Colonel, she says, licking at the blood dripping down her face. But it seems that arm of yours is good for more than just pushing paper. Down the hall, Hughes has made it to the phones. The woman at the desk begins to scold him about making personal calls again, but stops when she notices with a shock that he's bleeding. It's nothing, he says. I have to call the Fuhrer. He picks up the receiver, then suddenly stops as another realization strikes him. He slams the phone down. Sorry about that, he tells the woman. Carry on. And then he leaves the building, ignoring her concerned protests. He makes his way to a payphone outside and tries to put in a call to Roy Mustang at East Headquarters, but the operator requires a code since he's calling from an outside line. He fumbles for the code in his notebook, dropping a photo of his family in the process, and tells the operator to hurry because the military is in grave danger. Footsteps approach from behind as he waits. Please hang up the phone, Lieutenant Colonel, a voice says, and he turns to see Maria Ross holding a gun on him. Second Lieutenant Ross, he says, and then a startled look crosses his face. No, you're not her. Who are you? I'm Second Lieutenant Ross, she says. You and I have met at the hospital many times. No, you're not, Hughes says. Second Lieutenant Ross has a mole under her left eye. Ross looks surprised, then grins an unnaturally wide grin. Is that so? How forgetful of me. She taps her cheek, and with a familiar chemical effect, the mole appears. Is that better? Hughes' mouth drops open in shock. What the hell is going on, he asks, turning around to lean against the phone for support. Damn it, this has got to be a dream. This is about to become your worst nightmare, not Ross, cheerfully declares. Mm -hmm. They look down, notice the dropped family photo. Your quick wits have gotten you into a lot of trouble this time, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes. Hey, hey, give me a break, Hughes says with a nervous grin. He subtly palms another knife, ready to throw. I've got a wife and kid waiting for me at home. I can't afford to die yet. But when he whirls around to strike, he finds his own wife is now in front of him, holding the gun, and he stops short. Pretty good acting, huh? Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, the image of Gracia asks with a wide grin. Frozen in speechless horror, Hughes can only stare. At the East headquarters, the phone rings and Roy answers. The operator tells him who it is, and he immediately says, I don't want to hear any more about your family. But there's only silence on the other end. Hughes? Hughes? In the phone booth, the receiver dangles as Roy's increasingly frantic cries carry through, and blood pools around Hughes' slumped form. No. <laughs> He's fine, right? He'll be fine. Yeah, we're only 15 chapters in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'll be fine. I'll find out anything about this series. He'll be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chapter 16 cuts away and opens with Ed Allen Winry on the train to the south. Winry asks why they suddenly decided to visit their teacher again. They say that one reason is that they want to get stronger, since they've been losing a lot lately. The second reason is that they want to ask about transmuting human beings. Their teacher never once mentioned human transmutation or the Philosopher's Stone or anything like that when they trained together, so they want to directly ask their teacher about it. Although the idea of doing so gets them nervous again about their teacher's reaction. We had pretty short lives, didn't we, Al? Ed says in comic despair. <laughs> I wish I could have at least gotten myself a girlfriend, Al replies in kind. Winry looks on in mild concern, then remembers something which she says will cheer the boys up and begins rummaging in her bags. 
She brings out a delicious looking homemade apple pie that Mrs. Hughes gave her for them to eat on the train. Ed and Winry dig in, and Winry tells Al that Grisha also taught her the recipe, so she'll be able to make it for Al once he gets his body back. Winry talks about how nice the Hughes family is and what a good time she had staying with them, and Ed and Al talk about how Hughes always made time to visit them, even when he was always so busy. Ed smiles. I gotta do something nice for him the next time we go to Central, he says. Too soon. I'm already crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then a tragic page flip brings us to a somber military funeral. A coffin draped in the Amestris flag is carried in for burial, as military officers in dress uniforms and civilians in black look on. We can see Fuhrer Bradley, Major Armstrong, and Roy Mustang attending. And we also see Gracia and little Alicia. Mama, Alicia says, why do they have to bury Papa? If they do that, Papa won't be able to go to work anymore. Gracia kneels down to hug her daughter, crying as the little girl continues. Papa said he had lots of work to do. Please don't bury him. Papa! Armstrong covers his eyes as tears stream down his face. The Fuhrer's hands shake on his saber, and Roy looks down. After the funeral, Roy stands before Hugh's grave. Promoted two ranks higher in death. Brigadier General Hughes, huh? He says. You were going to support me by working under me. How are you going to do that now when you have a higher rank than me? You fool. Hawkeye comes up behind Roy and asks if he's ready to head back. What despicable creatures we alchemists are, Lieutenant, he says to her. Right now, there's a part of me that's trying to figure out the details of transmuting human beings. Now I think I can understand why those two kids wanted to bring their mother back. Are you all right, sir? Hawkeye asks, and Roy says he's fine. He puts his cap back on, shadowing his eyes, and says, Looks like it's starting to rain. It's not raining, Hawkeye begins, looking up. Yes, it is, Roy says, as a tear rolls down his cheek. This is rain. Yes, sir, Hawkeye agrees. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Just raining inside. It's raining. Yeah, in here, <laughs> in my little closet where I record. <laughs> Soon enough after that, the Roy is still in his dress uniform. He's in the court martial office, looking into what happened for himself. He listens to the officer Hughes has been. He listens to the officer Hughes had been talking with before taking off of the records room, and the woman in charge of the phones, hearing their views on what happened and inspecting the evidence. He then arrives at the roped-off phone booth and looks inside. He could have called me from inside the court martial office, but he went out of his way to try and call me from an outside line. He must have had some reason for not trusting the office phone, he thinks. The operator at the Eastern Headquarters heard Hughes say, the military is in grave danger. What could he have been trying to tell me? Did he discover something so serious it could cause the military to collapse? His thoughts are interrupted by the arrival of Hawkeye, who has brought Major Armstrong for Roy to speak to, and they have an interesting conversation. We have a good idea of the identities of the individuals who murdered the lieutenant colonel, Armstrong says. And when Roy asks why they don't arrest them, he adds, I'm sorry, sir. I said we had an idea, but we don't know who or where they are. What do you mean by that? Roy asks. Explain yourself. I cannot, says the major. Are you disobeying the orders of a superior officer? Roy demands. A colonel is ordering you to speak. I cannot, Armstrong insists. Roy is silent, frowning. Then he says, I understand. I'm sorry for calling you out here. You can go. Armstrong salutes and turns to leave, but pauses to add one more comment. There's one thing that I forgot to tell you. The Elric brothers were staying here until just a few days ago. Roy looks thoughtful. Did they find what they were looking for? He asks. No, they didn't, Armstrong says because what they were looking for is a legend, after all. Is that so? Roy says with a smile. Thank you. Armstrong leaves, and Hawkeye remarks that they weren't able to get much information, but Roy corrects her and says that Armstrong was actually very kind to them, and he explains, The identities of the individuals means that there was more than one murderer, perhaps a group of individuals working within an organization. The fact that he wouldn't speak, even when ordered by a colonel, means that there is someone of higher rank than myself who has ordered the major to stay silent about this matter. It would be safe to assume that military command is involved. Not to mention what the Elric brothers are looking for. In other words, the Philosopher's Stone. I see, Hawkeye says. An organization that's involved with military command, the Philosopher's Stone, and Lieutenant Colonel Hughes. How do they all connect? 
Roy says he has no idea, but he's not going to just let this die. He tells Hawkeye that he'll be transferred to Central soon, and he's going to use the opportunity to get to the bottom of what's going on with military command and to find out who killed Hughes, no matter what. Hawkeye says that it's odd for him to mix personal feelings and business, but he says that there's no difference between the two right now. Becoming Fuhrer and avenging Hughes are both things I'm doing of my own free will. He turns to face Hawkeye. I'm going after military command. Will you help me? You know there's no need to ask, she replies. <laughs> I stopped crying because of Roy's righteous uh, <laughs> desire to find the truth. His cockoiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> His cockoiness gets me through a lot, yes. Mm -hmm. He does have that, like, slicked back but slightly must hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's disheveled but determined. <laughs> we transition to a vast, empty desert. Scar is there, but not quite as we know him. There's no scar on his face, and he's wearing tattered robes belted with a striped sash. Where am I? He asks, looking around. Is this Ishval? Brother, father, where have you all gone? Hey, calls a voice, and Scar looks up to see a man standing above him on a high cliff. He has long dark hair tied back, and his face is in shadow. Who are you? Scar asks. You're not Ishvalan. Oh, please excuse me. I haven't introduced myself yet, the man says pleasantly. He spreads his hand, revealing familiar transmutation symbols tattooed onto his palms. I'm the state alchemist responsible for the genocide in this region. Scar's eyes go wide, and then we're thrown suddenly back to his fight with Gluttony in the sewers. We see him fighting for his life against an opponent who won't die, even when he uses his destructive alchemy on Gluttony's head. He briefly escapes by exploding Gluttony's arm off, but then Lush joins the fight. In desperation, he destroys the wall right behind him. And then Scar jolts awake. He is heavily bandaged and lying on a pile of cloth, forming a makeshift hospital bed. A young boy enters the tent he's in and is pleased to see Scar awake, saying that no one thought he was going to make it, and explains that they're currently in the slums outside East City. You saved me? Scar asks, and the boy grins. Uh-huh, you better thank me. We were really freaked out. It's not every day a man comes floating down the sewer. Scar looks around, taking in the extremely modest surroundings. You're thinking, how can these people help others when they're so poor themselves, right? The boy says. Well, if you were anyone else, we would have taken everything you had on you and then thrown you back in the sewer. But you're an Ishvalan, right? Scar's eyes go wide. The boy grins again. My mom's an Ishvalan too, he says, and then leads out the tent to announce that their patient is awake. An old man comes in and begins talking to Scar. You're the one who's wanted by the authorities, right? He asks, but then laughs when Scar grows alarmed and asks if he's going to report him. This slum is full of those with ties to the Ishvalans, he says. No one would be stupid enough to betray a kinsman. Others from the slum start to gather around the tent, happy to hear that Scar is awake and offering up any help they can to him. So many Ishvalans survived? Scar asks. It's not just here, either, the old man says. There are small colonies in every region where our people continue to survive quietly but happily. Even a place like this that smells of soot begins to feel like home once you get used to it. He laughs cheerfully and adds, The entire world rests within the bosom of Ishvala. Scar smiles. Yes, he says. He apologizes for causing trouble and tries to sit up, but winces in pain at the movement. The boy tells him not to move the boy tells him not to move around so much, and Scar instead asks him if his right arm is still there. Yeah, it's hurt really bad, but you still have both your arms and legs. But your right arm's really amazing. The boy holds up Scar's bare arm, revealing it to be covered in an intricate pattern unlike any transmutation circle we've seen so far. Is that a tattoo? The boy asks. Yes, Scar says, staring up at the ceiling. It's something precious that my family gave me. And that's the end of chapter 16. Wow. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Well, it was crazy because the, the first chapter, chapter 14, for the most part, it was lighthearted. There was a little bit of, you know, mention of like, maybe it's going to get a little bit heavy, you know. Um, and then just the last, what, two or three pages, you're suddenly like, oh, oh, right. We're not having fun anymore. Nope. And uh, yeah, it just it just hit me. I was reading and, you know, like, oh, this is a good chapter. I kind of knew it was coming, so I was prepared. And then I got hit with something I forgot about. Um, 
I mean, I guess I knew that it was coming at some point, but I wasn't expecting it there. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that this happened. I also forgot that it happened at this time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I knew that I knew that Hughes was going to die for sure. And I remember the mm-hmm. funeral. But for some reason, I didn't really remember the lead up. So then when, quote unquote, Maria Ross, quote unquote, <laughs> shows up, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, it's now. It's happening now. <laughs> yeah, I think mm-hmm. Hughes' death is one of the, like, iconic film alchemist scenes. Yeah. Like, like, if I think of, like, Full Malcolmus, I think of the Nina and Alexander stuff, <laughs> and I think of Hughes' death as like mm-hmm. the, the kind of like things everyone, yeah, like watches and is like, what the fuck about mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. first time? Like I said, I remembered, uh, I definitely remembered the Nina situation for sure, mm-hmm. um, and then I remembered the funeral, for, um, and I think a lot of people remember the like it's raining, like a lot of yeah, people... yeah, that's definitely an iconic for um line. Yeah, it's like an iconic scene between yeah. Hawkeye and Roy Mustang. Yeah, I was talking about it before we were recording, but um, I had switched from uh, watching the 2003 anime to reading the manga at this point. Mm-hmm. Then like later on, I went back and finished watching the anime. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't know about Hughes' death until I was reading it, which I think most people first encountered it watching one of the animes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But it was later in the anime, you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember like getting to the scene at the end where... He's in the phone booth, and I'm like, he's gonna be fine. Like I joked about it when we were reading it, but I was like, he's gonna be fine. This is obviously a fake out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like flipping through the first couple of pages with the Ed and Alan Roy at the beginning, and then yeah. I flipped the page, and there's the coffin. And I was yeah. like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, he nailed lust in the forehead mm-hmm. in the in the records room. So you're like, oh, he's fine. He can defend himself. It's gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. But I guess envy threw him off guard. I mean, the assumption yeah. is that it's envy. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, that's something the, I... uh, the grin, a naturally wide grin until you pointed it out. I was yeah. like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, that's something I never really noticed until reading it this time. It's like, it doesn't actually explicitly like go like, this is envy, but it's like, you obviously yeah. know it is. Like, yeah. It's certainly, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we can say that pretty definitively. Yeah. <laughs> out of envy, lust, and gluttony, we know for sure that envy can like shapeshift mm-hmm. using alchemy. And it does, um, I was like, no, at first, okay, so first when I was reading this, I was like, no, Maria Ross is influenced by the, all the stuff that's going on. And then he's like, oh, it, you, Maria Ross has a beauty mark. And then I was like, oh, it's envy. Obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does that mean, okay, wait, I have a follow-up question related to this. Does that mean, actually, I think it's clarified by the scene, but I was going to say, does that mean that Maria Ross is dead? Because Cornello is dead and envy transforms into Cornello. But I guess I guess Envy doesn't have to. Well, Gracia's not dead. She's not dead. Exactly. That's why I was like Gracia. So exactly. But also, I so it's interesting because I think they when you first meet Envy, they say that they pick like that. That's just the form that they're comfortable with. the, The form that you normally see. So I don't even know where that. Um. Uh, that image comes from if that's just one that that they were able to just create mm-hmm. or if um was this was... this was the chapter where ed was like and a person who looked like this carried me out with the drawing right yeah. <laughs> related to envy yeah. Oh, yeah i laughed out loud yeah. when i saw that <laughs> like uh, yeah ed's artistic talents were not passed down through the armstrong no <laughs> no <laughs> i mean he perfectly detailed like replicated in detail the alchemy circle but yeah uh but yeah, I mean, I think Envy's um, strike most important characteristics were represented accurately. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you would recognize Envy after seeing uh, I, I Ed's doodle. I think you would. 
Also, has, like, yeah, he has like a little like even crappier doodle of lust in the corner that's yeah. crossed out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I guess Envy can just. It's I for at first with Cornello, I thought that it was like a thing, a situation where the the person had to be dead, but mm-hmm. I guess not. It seems like Envy yeah. can just alter their appearance. Yeah, mm-hmm. whoever they want to be. Yeah, it seems like. Or I guess potentially whatever, but. Yeah. And it seems like they have to, like, like there's some effort on their part because, uh, like, they messed up the uh, the, the mole the on Maria yeah. Ross. It's not like they automatically perfectly replicate. No, it's not like mm-hmm. just seen. It's like, uh, yeah, they have to actually do something. Mm-hmm. They have to, have to um, I don't know. They actually have to, like, in- envision it and make it yeah. happen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like some kind of chameleon situation. So, so speaking with about Hughes and uh, his encounter... I think none of the main gang knows about the, the fact that they don't die the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's right. Because Hughes hits uh, Lusts in the head mm-hmm. and leaves, but doesn't know that she's probably just fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I thought, well, like, wait a minute, didn't wouldn't Ed and, and Armstrong have told them? But I don't think any of them know yet. Yeah, so I don't think they know. It's a very interesting. Yeah. The only Marco one knows, Marco. and yeah. it looks like Scar probably knows now since he, That's right. he tried to explode Gluttony's head and it didn't work. Exploded Gluttony's arm off. You should have died from yeah. that too. <laughs> without any, uh, I guess, without any medical attention in the sewers, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do love how um, they cut, like Hughes escapes, and you're like, hmm, I wonder how he escaped, and then it like cuts over. The next panel is like Lust, like slumped on the floor with the blade in her forehead. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we get to see some uh, some hidden depths from Hughes before he uh, bites it. Untimely oh. demise bites yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! I'm not crying only, again. <laughs> uh, not only his um, knife throwing skills, but also he's very, very clever in a lot mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. He seemed to have figured chapters. out figured yeah. out something that he shouldn't have known mm-hmm. by looking at the yeah. records. Yeah, he figured out something and. You know, it was obviously it was obviously significant enough that they wanted him dead. Yes, and was also uh, you know able to pick up the uh, Envy's mm. uh, presence by yeah, yeah. noticing I mean, the, the the mole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also seems to be like kind of politically aware with his conversations with Roy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean I, I say this probably every time, but I just love how the comic relief characters are still incredibly smart yeah. and clever. Mm-hmm. And like, it shows why they, they're, because I mean, they're all in, in pretty high up positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, as you said, all of that is shows that even though he's kind of a goofball and, you know, you don't really necessarily take him seriously. He's, you know, he's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then uh, shortly after with Ar- the conversation Armstrong has with Roy, same mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. I mean, right. I couldn't speak like that if, in code or anything like that if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Armstrong knew what to say to kind of like, yeah, just be like, "Holy shit, holy shit!" That would be the extent of my conversation with Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Is the reason none of us are in the military? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like when an NV, when a like NV transmutes the mole, I'd be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, "This must be a nightmare." I must be dreaming. Mm-hmm. Or it must be a dream, rather. Yeah. <laughs> and Envy's like, your worst nightmare. I mean. Yeah. 
I'm glad we can still laugh. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, but we can do it. <laughs> but yeah, I do. And like, it is. So now Roy also knows that there's someone above him who knows something about what the Scooby gang was doing. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting in and of itself from what, what uh, Armstrong told him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know how military command works, but if you get it, an order from someone and then later they're promoted because like what if what if it was hughes because hughes is now technically a higher <laughs> rank than roy so if it was hughes that said don't say anything to roy like <laughs> is that could that have possibly what, been what it was i feel like after death it's not going to come back to you though yeah. somebody could find out that, he, that armstrong uh the fear could find out that armstrong told somebody something yeah. The Fuhrer seemed to know a lot that was already happening, too. Yeah. So what the fuck is up with that? I don't trust him yet. Yeah, I just want to uh, say for the record that I don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his scene is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that he does is interesting because, mm-hmm. yeah, so he, he shows up. He Let me summarize what I believe happened. <laughs> so he shows up. He brought Ida Melon. Also, he, like, snuck away from his guards to go talk mm-hmm. to them separately. Mm-hmm. Um... He like implied. Well, he said that he knows that all, nobody knows where all the, all the alchemists who work with Doctor Marco are. Um, and he referred to whoever was making the stones, I guess, as the enemy. So he thinks that there's. I don't know. I guess he just refers to them as the enemy in general because he also told them not to trust anybody in the military. In the military. Which is also partly why I thought it was actually Maria Ross for a second. He said, when the time comes, I'll call on you, so make sure you're prepared. So is it implied that he, like, trusts them? This is an open question. It, there is no answer. And then, like, mm-hmm. uh, but then at, at Hughes' funeral, he's, like, really shaken up by the funeral. So, you know, he was at least, or maybe he was faking it. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't trust him, but he seems to be on our side, I guess. On the Scooby mm-hmm. gang side. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because it's like he's mostly like comes off really likable in his like scene, mm-hmm. yeah. except for like the one bit where he suddenly gets like really terrifying. Yes, mm-hmm. just like how much do you know? <laughs> yes, and he's like just kidding. Yeah, he probably knows how much they know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have all the notes and stuff. Yeah, but he was just like, no, don't go, don't go sticking snooping into this anymore. But I mean, they're definitely gonna ignore that, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like. I don't know. I don't know what to think about him right now. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. either he's on the good side and actively... I mean, Hughes was going to tell him... Well, at least Hughes was going to tell Roy, I guess. Well, he said, I have to tell the Fuhrer when he was running away. Mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe he wanted to tell Roy first or whatever. But, like, I guess there's some trust there. But, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't trust him. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I like how Ed referred to this as a storm blowing through too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, when he's just like, okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, some military nonsense. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Better not question it. Mm-hmm. It's like when your boss's 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 boss comes to talk to you, no matter who it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you doing? And you're like, I don't know. Fine, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what's it to you? Question mark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love all the reactions. To yes. <laughs> yeah. These are some great chapters for facial expressions, both the mm-hmm. comedy yes. facial expressions and serious ones. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not crying again. You're crying again. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I think one of the most, like, devastating ones is uh, Hughes' last expression before he oh, dies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you also, I mean, uh, you you talked about it before I got cut off <laughs> by our call, but the panel where Al yells at Ed and Winry's there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah, good. Yeah, I love that page. It's always, yeah. it's always really striking to me. It is. Um, I, I feel like, like, our call mostly is just, like, you know, plain square panels but they're arranged in interesting ways sometimes so mm-hmm. that's kind of one of them where it's like the vertical yeah all of their um like the position in the panel they're not perfectly aligned like their heads aren't perfectly mm-hmm. aligned or anything mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i also like al's like angry face when he's yelling in the chapter after like when it starts up uh after that the three panels that we're talking about yeah mm-hmm. that like shadowy panel mm-hmm. or like most, oh, most of his yeah. face is in shadow but his hands are yeah like a jack-o'-lantern yes yeah (laughs) yeah that one's another one that i remember i feel like al's identity crisis is relatable to a certain extent like Mm -hmm. as a as just a human Mm yeah um yeah i think i mean it definitely makes sense that like with everything going on like you know like barry got inside his head and then he hasn't really had a chance to like talk it out about like mm-hmm. talk it out with anyone because mm-hmm. of everything else going on so he's just been like brooding about it to himself for days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe weeks <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know the the timeline in this is sort of mysterious but clearly a lot has happened mm-hmm. so the timeline to me seems a bit baloney <laughs> which is something that i know well because okay you mean how long so... it takes him to get better in the hospital no because oh. because winry said it, it was only two weeks ago that they were in risen oh, yeah Mm-hmm. But we know for a fact that it took five days for Sheska to recreate uh, Dr. Marco's notes. And then it was either seven or ten days for them to decipher the notes. So that is so is this like... not including any sort of travel time for, to get from Risenbull to, to Central for either Ed or Winry. And for Ed to heal and make that call, that's still only at most 12 days. Well, all he had to do to make the call was wake up. That's true. Mm-hmm. So, so that could he be the day after. Than, yeah. yeah. Like that that call could have, it could actually have been like the day after the, mm-hmm. so like they, tra- yes, you're right. It took Shreska five days to write the notes and then it took them whatever, several more days to, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it takes more than a day for them to get from Resinville to Central. I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. I guess, it, I guess it's a train. It's pretty fast. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't seem like the area that we've seen of Mestris and, is that big yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they also seem to have a very robust uh, train system, just <laughs> yeah. with how often we see them. Yeah. 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 It's clearly the main method of transportation here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those steam locomotives, they'll get you where you need to go, I guess, question mark. <laughs> but like, it's a steampunk series. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a train, it's a steampunk series. Yes. It has to be a steam train, though. Mm-hmm. That's steampunk, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it could have been like the next day, but I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's almost suspicious. <laughs> it's what, what's like something that's not baloney, but close. But yeah, mm-hmm. they also Ed walked out of the hospital. He's been like freaking out and reopening his wound all over the place. I don't think he should have yeah. left either. But mm-hmm. they're like, when he's like, oh, free ticket to like um whatever the auto <laughs> auto mail mechanics mecca. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, you can leave the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> He needs to lay down. Oh, yeah. speaking of that, what is the word they use uh, in Japanese for the mecca? I don't know. Wait, 
You mean where she says it? Hold on, what is it? An auto mechanics. Yeah. Haven't the automobile engineers mecca? Did she actually say that? I just um. That's what it that. says in the translation, but okay. mm-hmm. I don't know what the. Uh, I'll Japanese find out. Is. <laughs> Give me a moment. You can also find out what automobile engineer is. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm pretty sure that's what it sounds oh, like. Oh, yeah, in I, the know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, you know what's an interesting note, Kayla? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it says like a bunch of kanji, but then in the furigana, it says otomer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like a different. Um, sometimes people, sometimes in Japanese. So basically, like, okay, so you're familiar with furigana, right? Yeah. Furigana is like the small kana besides something that usually shows the pronunciation so you can also use sometimes people like authors use furigana to communicate something else so it might be like the idea of the thing or Mm -hmm. like for example there's when we were reading fruits basket there was a time where there was like a a pun that somebody said um there where it involves somebody's name this is really convoluted but the the word flies (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it was when Akito said Yuki. It was when Akito and Yuki met. He was like, my little Yuki. It was, and it's like impossible to translate, but it used um, Akito's dialogue, main dialogue in big text, used two uh, like kanji that mean something else that aren't Yuki's name. Oh, it was. Um, yeah, anyway, it's very complicated. <laughs> it's it's okay. fine. It's fine. It has to do with like the whole idea of the series and everything. It's okay. But yeah, so the, so it was like a pun that was represented where it was the person's the character's name but different word that was used to represent their name, which was very interesting. So you can I guess sometimes you can use I can look this up again to clarify this for you, Cosm, but mm-hmm. Furigana can be used to represent not just the direct pronunciation, which is how it's normally used, especially like for people who are learning like us. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can sometimes authors use it to represent different ideas also it says mecca but then it there's like a kanji for it oh really cool yeah so like in in katakana next to it it says mecca hmm. um but the actual kanji says isseichi which means holy land mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah that, i mean that makes sense this is something that i find really interesting about japanese is like so there's a system for showing the pronunciation of things, but often people, like authors, will also use it for other things to communicate something else about those words, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. What were we talking about <laughs> before we went to Japanese Corner? <laughs> Just <laughs> how great Winry is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how we see more of, like, uh, kind of Ed Al and Winry's uh, relationship in these mm-hmm. chapters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, I like how Ed and Al argued over who was going to marry Winry, and it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Like that Al one, but they were both rejected. <laughs> yep. But yeah, like we see some of them just like being, you know, like friends with each other. But we also get the little the flashback of uh, how like Winry, uh, you know, knows about like Ed's yeah. like, feverish insecurities from his automail mm-hmm. surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al's, Al's feelings are, are legitimate, I guess. But Winry is like, what the fuck? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I like how she hits him with the wrench, too. Somebody needed to. I also like how... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny how he just, right before that, was like... Um, actually, what she remembers 
is Ed saying he can't feel or he can't sleep and he can't eat. And then literally she hits him and Al's like, ow. <laughs> I guess it's just like. I think uh, that's, a, that's emotional. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's just startled. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he is, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. It's almost, it's a mm-hmm. little tiny, uh, you know, we have all these little, these things that are like, who, what's really human and what makes people human and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And yeah. I feel like Al's reaction also... is a little very small contradiction to that idea that he doesn't have any feelings or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also like it's kind of it's a funny people do that anyway. Like you say "ow" and then you're like, "That didn't actually hurt." I just said "ow." Oh yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> yes. Like that's kind of like it starts off as like sort of a comedy thing with her swinging the wrench, but it actually, I found the the bit of her just kind of like ineffectually, repeatedly hitting him while she's like mm-hmm. crying, pretty effective. And just sort of the, I mean, because she's really pissed at first, and then she mm-hmm. switches over, and like it, it's it's really great at sort of showing how. Because I mean that that that's that's how oftentimes you feel is you get like really angry and then upset and like just have a range of emotions when you're, you mm-hmm. know, during a moment like that. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a quote from Arakawa about Winry where she says like something like she laughs a lot, cries a lot, gets mad a lot, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I think like, that's kind of a, a thing about Winry. It's like, she's, she feels her emotions and doesn't try to mm-hmm. Winry's also them back, which we've had discussion of the, especially Ed doing where she says, like, yeah. like she's talking about how like he won't let himself cry and stuff. Yeah. Winry's also like 15. I feel mm-hmm. like, or something like that, right? I feel like yeah. uh, it's a very teenage thing to do to just have your emotions kind of like, uh, not like come out of nowhere, but feel so strong out of nowhere, I guess. Like mm-hmm. kind of, like she mm-hmm. she probably didn't realize that she was so upset about that too, you know? Like I yeah. guess is kind of what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, also, yeah, it's clearly part of her character, but mm-hmm. part of her character is also being 15. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like that makes a big difference. Same with Al. Yeah, like Al's yeah, thirteen, like something like fourteen. Fourteen, mm-hmm. I yeah. think. I was gonna say Al's like Al's same. You know, reaction to all of this makes a lot of sense when you remember mm-hmm. that he's fourteen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody questions things about themselves when they're a teenager. In his case, he's like, "Am I real?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of I, yeah. He's got more um, <laughs> yeah more but, justification for those questions than yes, average <laughs> fourteen year olds. So, but I do feel like this. You know, like the perception of like. I guess more like um, how do you know are are other people just doing this just to like I, I don't know like be nice to me or like there's mm-hmm. kind of like all those like sort of social things I feel like you question yeah. a lot when you're a teenager maybe. yeah like I think everyone has like a moment like in high school where they're like what if my friends are all just pretending to be my friends yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> what if everybody's just pretending to be nice to me and they don't they don't actually like me or whatever yeah yeah I feel like it's a his his um feelings in this chapter are kind of a stand-in for like regular teen angst you know mm-hmm. yeah so but i think the most important thing is that the message from the chapter is that you should talk about your problems which is mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. nice and i can get behind that yeah i've seen people like like criticize like hughes's statement of like you know like you know no men speak more with their actions yeah. as if it were like justified by the text and i was like he's immediately proven wrong and then yes chapter. like mm-hmm. that's the whole point of it <laughs> i also think like i just i willfully choose to substitute men with people in that mm-hmm. sentence because i mean a lot of people hold in their feelings like he's just yeah it's not really about the about what men and women do or whatever i feel like it's more to like he's saying that also it's mm-hmm. it's supposed to refer to his perspective what he's doing like, yeah like yeah, yeah it's like i mean the look on his face he's obviously speaking from his own like point of view and how he deals with things mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah i think it's more about him personally mm-hmm. rather than quote unquote men and how people are supposed yeah. to be i mean like i've i've i can see how you wouldn't could interpret it that way i just choose not to i don't think that that's mm-hmm. the right interpretation yeah, yeah. 
It's like, I just don't see how anyone can, like, read those chapters and think that the text was trying to say Hughes is right. It's like... <laughs> no. Hughes is wrong. That's what the text... Yeah. That's, what... that's like when people say that Disney movies are evil or, like, they're super <laughs> sexist. They're like, Mulan is sexist. And you're like, I don't understand how you cannot see the bigger picture in this. Yeah. They take, like, one line and extrapolate that to be, like, this is what, mm -hmm. this is what the whole text is saying. And it's like, no, 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 no. Usually that yeah. kind of thing is, like... What, this is a rant. I'm sorry, so a, but it's usually like, <laughs> like there's, a, there's context. Yeah, that's how you're building. Generally. That's how you build yeah. the argument. Is like you have to say that in the text, and then like the rest of the text then subverts that. That's like the point. So then you can't mm -hmm. go back through the text and be like, oh, they said that men say this and that changes. That's how. That's what the message is. It's like no, no, no. <laughs> the rest of the mm -hmm. three chapters clearly prove that wrong. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, it's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad. <laughs> not everything a sympathetic character says is <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, he's still a good dad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like you know, small reminder, um, half of the main cast participated in a genocide. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it's like, not everything the, not everything the likable main characters does is supposed to be Listen. treated as the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the Fuhrer is likable, but I think he's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do like the theme of, like, uh, like, you know, use your words and communicate with people, which... Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think kind of continues off with um like Maria Ross's um little uh speech to Ed in the previous yeah. chapters about like oh yeah yeah trusting adults not about like yeah like letting people, people in people. and not just trying to go off on your own kind of thing it's like mm -hmm. it's like you can talk to people about things and mm -hmm. there's different situations but I think it's kind of in the same general theme of yeah you can work with other people you don't have to be mm -hmm. alone all the time yeah. I think it's also kind of demonstrated by Hughes and Roy and like the adults in the chapters that we've seen so far, like how they're willing to work together too. Mm -hmm. Like Hughes is, I mean, he's constantly calling Roy to tip him off with stuff. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. clearly because Hughes is like, or Roy's like, stop calling me, talk about your family. But he always has yeah. some other agenda, right? Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, he knows he's using the uh, military phone, so he's got to keep it on the DL. He's like, nobody's listening after I talk yeah. about my children for 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> At least that's my suspicion. That's not canon, mm -hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah I would. I believe that. <laughs> I feel like he's completely genuine in his gushing, oh, yeah, but he's sure. also using it as a... <laughs> it's a cover-up. As a so, cover. <laughs> I, I mean, something that I thought was interesting that I, I, I realized when I was rereading this is, you know, they mentioned that Roy's alchemy code is to talk about, like, sort of dates and girls mm. and... Hughes mm -hmm. calls him to talk about, I mean, granted, not the girls he's dating, but <laughs> the two girls in his life. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just wonder if that, like, it's some sort of parallel. Maybe. And mm -hmm. and you sort of get more information about sort of what he's trying to say towards the end. He, you know, he says it in, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, that sort, that sort of thing. Possible. Mm-hmm. Hughes, I mean, Hughes, Roy is, seems to be good at, everybody's, like, picking up what each other's putting down, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where Armstrong's like, well, I can't tell you these things, but I can hint at these things, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if Hughes is doing the same thing. Yeah. In some way. Either talking mm -hmm. about, talking about uh, Gracia and Alicia or not. <laughs> yeah. I think we get a lot of uh, insight into Roy in these chapters, too. Yeah, like I feel mm -hmm. like we've mostly seen him in like a professional context before, but we get a little bit more of his like personal motivations and relationships yeah. with the people. And around I mean, him. like we talked about how his his ambition to become Fear President King <laughs> is uh, just just Fear <laughs> is uh, you know it definitely seems a little sketchy, a little 
um, villainous or something, but at least this time it sort of seems very justified, very sort of, um, it's presented completely differently, sort mm-hmm. of as something that like you want to root for. Yeah, yeah, um, it gets more of a noble spin this time mm-hmm. rather than the like I want power kind of yeah view. It kind of seemed like the last time. Yeah, and we also see like. Like, we saw, like, hints at the fact that, like, when he said that the last time, we saw, like, you know, Hawkeye and Havoc, you know, kind of reacting, like, with fondness yes. to that <laughs> statement. And then we see, like, here, like, how much he obviously trusts Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He basically asked her to go to Central with him. He didn't say it mm-hmm. outright, but he's like, will you support me in this uh, mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. And she says, like, you don't even have to ask, which... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they clearly have a connection of some kind. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not just a subordinate and a colonel, you know, mm-hmm. like... I don't know. Like, yeah, Roy seems to have this aspiration. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just beyond a regular obligation, I guess. Yeah. And we did get to see his, his personal... He did really... Um, you know, he was really good friends with Hughes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, another thing I want to talk about with just how smart he is, mm-hmm. is not only did he figure... He figured out something huge, but he he basically was able to piece together the, the information he got that day. True. Right? Because, like, they filled him in that day and was like, by the way, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. and like so he didn't witness it he wasn't really involved for the most part um and he was able to to just put it together mm-hmm. yeah um i don't know i mean he was he was definitely like there it, yeah you're right like for comic relief but he figured out what was going on with very little input mm-hmm. and like um brosh trying to listen in and then maria ross being like i don't want to know i don't want to be involved yeah. <laughs> i guess when you talk about scar Mm-hmm. we haven't talked about him yet yep. we kind of he's did alive. Yeah. <laughs> he's alive even though the military thinks he's dead which is they should never assume but whatever yeah well, I don't think Roy thinks he's dead yeah <laughs> he's just like yeah he's probably dead or whatever and Roy's like mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, but yeah we get uh, an interesting perspective on Scar that we haven't gotten before yes like, mm-hmm. around his own people yes not the villain in this place mm-hmm yeah. Also, I've forgotten we hadn't seen this tattoo yet. Yeah. At this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot he had a tattoo. I forgot everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I've even yeah. read. Maybe I didn't read it at all. I don't know. <laughs> at this point. I was like reading, when I like first like, looked through those chapters, and I was like, why is this like a reveal? And I was like, oh, it is a reveal. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of funny because we talked about how specifically that chapter is called the right arm of the same, but we they never showed, his arm was never shown in that chapter, mm-hmm. just his hands. Mm-hmm. We even see him smile. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It was like a kind of more... Um, on a perspective on the like other Ishvalans survivors mm-hmm. of the Civil War, like still yeah. in the country. I was just looking for the quote that they said. Of them being in like every region. Yeah, the entire oh, world yeah. rest within the bosom bosom is Ishvala. That's mm-hmm. nice. And he smiled. That was when he smiled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We get a nice perception on him. Uh, he's like not just a crazy villain. He's a person mm-hmm. too, just like everybody else. Yeah. And he's a refugee, as stated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like until this point you might be like, is he like the only Ishvan yeah. left, or like one of the only yeah. Ishvans left, but it get... seemed like that from the way that yeah. people reacted to him <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was that. a genocide, so yeah, yeah, it's like you know. it still doesn't look like there's a lot of them, no. but um, yeah. there's at least some surviving populations in other parts of the country. Yeah, they said they're near a city, and then they also said uh, there's there's more um, refugee camps like other places, like in the mm-hmm. in the north or whatever. I forget exactly. Well, I think they said in all regions. Oh, okay. Well. There you go. Yeah. yeah. We also saw his dream or memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The 
disturbing way that it was put. Uh, I'm the state alchemist in charge of the genocide in this region. Good old Kimberly, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or he was back? Question mark. Yeah. Is this in the past? Or I don't know. Maybe it's just his dream. But mm -hmm. yeah, they clearly. But I don't think he. Yeah, I was like, I don't think he wholesale made up Kimberly no. for his dream. So <laughs> yeah, he actually like, presumably uh, actually interacted in the past. He gave birth to Kimberly from his dreams. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Kimberly was the one who shot the child. <laughs> I think he would have blown it up. <laughs> yeah. It was just some rando. I, I assumed that what happened was it was some poor random. There was some situation, and it was some poor random soldier, and then everything got blown out of control, and then mm -hmm. no, some something shouldn't, nothing should have happened. Something shouldn't have happened yeah. that happened, and then it became a whole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, it, yeah. So he, I guess he's. It's implied that he met Kimberly at least at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way Kimberly phrases it is interesting too, because last time we saw him, he was the one who like phrased it as the like extermination campaign mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now this time he calls it the genocide. Yeah. Like he's the only one who seems to just like head on call it what it is. Yeah, he's not yeah. like oh the he's civil take, war like, pleasure in it. Yes, yeah. he's the mm -hmm. only only character we've met so far who doesn't seem to be you know, sort of, like, frightened or ashamed about what happened, I guess. Mm -hmm. He's just like, yep, it's me, the killer. I'm here. Yep. <laughs> I love the sound of bombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my Kimberly impression. Enthusiast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the bomb enthusiast. <laughs> I like Mad Bomber. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he knows Kimberly the Mad Bomber, I guess. It seems that he has yep. made his acquaintance yep. at least at some point. I also think in the dream he says like is this Ishval like as if he was gone which is kind of interesting um mm -hmm. for a while or something or or maybe he's I it could also be like just like his dream where he's like oh am I dreaming is this Ishval again am mm -hmm. I here yeah I don't know yeah it mm -hmm. seems like it's like halfway between a dream and a flashback so. yeah it's hard yeah. to tell because the the other mm -hmm. the fight is clearly a flashback so yeah yeah um so yeah it's hard to tell if the other one is a flashback or a dream or whatever but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably a little six and one half dozen of another. <laughs> yeah. So something that uh, is interesting when you met Scar, I think I, I think this is uh, maybe I should double check, but um, you know he was against you know he he doesn't like alchemists. Um, I think doesn't he say that like he perverts the creations of Ishval or something like that or, or alchemists do. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. Um, he basically thinks of them the, as sinners, I guess, essentially. Yeah, but the alchemical tattoo on his mm -hmm. arm is a was a gift from his family, meaning that some of his family practiced alchemy as well. I guess? I guess, mm -hmm. well, by precious... Precious gift doesn't necessarily mean cherished, though, does it? Mm -hmm. um, and sort of the same. So maybe he doesn't like it you know what's interesting like, i'll check what the word is because there's a word for in japanese that means actually it's pretty common you might have learned it if you took your your first year class or whatever it was taisetsu which is like mm -hmm. sometimes it's translated important. as precious yeah sometimes it's tr translated as important mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we i feel like we in english have the connotation of precious as being like valued certain in a certain way as opposed to just important mm -hmm. which is like factually good you know what i mean yeah i can see what he says but I just feel like that happens a lot, where sometimes that specific word gets translated either way, and then it can have mm -hmm. this like connotation that's not really, mm -hmm. not not valid, but not maybe not 
not meant. The same as intended? Yeah. I feel like it could work either way for Scar, because we've already yeah. seen, like, he's obviously got some conflicting things going on. Yeah. He's yeah. alchemy since he's willing to use it against other alchemists yeah. in, like, pursuit of his goal. And the tattoo itself is interesting, because it doesn't really look like any other kind of mm-hmm. alchemy symbol we've seen so far. Well... He also, his alchemy isn't similar to the alchemy that you've seen so far, because it mm-hmm. is just the first two parts, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The anal- analysis and deconstruction. Yeah, which is why um, the other alchemists on the scene were kind of, like, surprised to realize it was alchemy. Like, it took them mm-hmm. a, a bit to recognize it for what it was. Except for Armstrong, because he's just as smart, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, his smarts were passed down the Armstrong line for generations. <laughs> also, <laughs> the word is Taisetsna. That's like, uh, yeah. he, how he describes it. But... Yeah, I mean, also if it's from his, I guess like you could interpret it as being precious because it's from his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially it's like all he has left of his family, which seems likely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> especially based on the dream where he yeah. was like, "Father, father." Yeah, but that's why it's interesting. Uh, Taisetsu. It's so it has those multiple connotations, I guess: important, necessary, indispensable. Second mm-hmm. meaning is beloved, precious, dear, cherished, valuable. Mm-hmm. There's also another meaning of careful, which I, I'm not sure how you would use it in that way. But mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes it, that's why it's a little bit... It's a tricky thing to... It's like we get the meaning, I think, implicitly. But if you were mm-hmm. going to go to the level of being like, oh, does he like really care about it? Like, you know, I don't know. It's a difficult mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I mean, he thinks his mission is important, so I could see it meaning that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, or like it's necessary because yeah, he's a get like. See, you could kind of interpret it in any of those different ways, depending on how you look. Kind of look at his character because he feels like his. Mm-hmm. He feels like what he's doing is important. He also feels like I think he feels like it's necessary, even though like not what he wants to do. Like more of like uh, yeah, it's like it's not like it's not like what he wants to do. He just feels like it's what's right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a calling more than a yeah than a. A desire like it's not like he's yeah. like i really want to go murder everybody it's like yeah <laughs> this is what has to be done and like this is that's yeah. what it seems like at least from his character so anyway mm-hmm. yes and mm-hmm. then the fact that it was from his family i feel like you could say like it's it's precious or cherished or whatever so yeah it's a little i think maybe the contradictory nature there is uh part of what makes it interesting i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> so what makes him interesting as a character so yeah yeah, we also know so little about him at this point that we can maybe yeah. kind of make any interpretation work. True. How he feels about himself is mm-hmm. a bit of a mystery. Yeah. Like, this is the first time we've seen him, like, not actively trying to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, he did just seem sort of like a mindless killing machine before. Like I said, yeah. he was solely driven by that desire, by that, by that, like I said, I don't think it's really a desire. It's almost, yeah, like a calling or, like, what he thinks is the right mm-hmm. thing to do, driven by mm-hmm. sort of, like, yeah. this righteous impetus. But yeah. uh, I think the, yeah. the the closest to not that was <laughs> the mercy killing of Nina. True. Which is, you know, still pretty close. Yeah. But he was so, just know, like, um, yeah, like we had that yeah. bit and we had the bit where he showed some kind of like moral stance in the way mm-hmm. he was like agreeing that like he wouldn't harm Al. True. Yeah. Al didn't like try to attack him first yeah. and stuff. Yeah. At least he theoretically agreed to that. We but, don't know what he would have actually yeah. done, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like those, we got those little bits, and like, but this is the first time we've really seen him, like, just like being a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, not like a Terminator. You mean? Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. 
it is nice to see him <laughs> be- <laughs> come with me if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no. <laughs> Motion to voice Scar's voice in the Terminator's <laughs> voice from now on. <laughs> oh, so about that, in the very beginning of chapter 14, nice. when uh, Hughes and Mustang are talking, mm. Right, you know, it, it reveals that um, Hughes is talking to Mustang. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I just had this this urge to read Roy's uh, text in in a Snape voice. <laughs> 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 Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, <laughs> I'm at work right now, <laughs> and I tried keeping that up for the rest of the chapter, but I just couldn't. <laughs> it just didn't match up very well. So I know where he's like, I'm at work right now. And he's like, what a coincidence. So I'm I. At work. Yes. <laughs> that was a great line. It was good. I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> and yeah, just sort of the, the, a very nice contrast to the very stern and, mm. you know, like I'm, I'm at work right now. What are you doing? I'm like kind of a little irritated. You can <laughs> see. I'm just, oh, what a coincidence. I'm at Dude. work too. Yeah. He's just an, um, he's unflappable in his, um, like, I don't know, sort of, um, not like lackadaisical, but um, kind of approach to like what he's doing, you know, how mm-hmm. he's living his life, living his best life. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Roy is like very serious, like he's trying to climb the ranks. So, you know, he's not like Hughes is kind of like whatever, like mm-hmm. at least in his personal interactions, like probably when he's actually getting down to business, it's not like that. As we saw when he mm-hmm. was yeah. trying to call to tell people about whatever it was that he learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot of um good scenes in that that first chapter that we read. Um I'm going through it right now and mm-hmm. <laughs> I really appreciated all uh, the milk hate, which is hilarious. Yeah. It's yeah. extra funny because Arakawa grew up on a dairy farm, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can feel like this is an argument that's happened probably multiple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she her represents herself as a as a cat yes. like author avatars. So. <laughs> I think she there's even like a note in like one of the I hear if it was like in the chapter, like in an end note or something, where she's like, I apologize to all the dairy farmers in the world. Yes. Like describing <laughs> milk as. As like, it's oh, not nutritionally yeah. complete or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I feel like that's an argument somebody had with her or that she had when she was being like yeah. a rebellious child or something, you know? <laughs> where they're like, you gotta drink your milk. And she's like, no. <laughs> came out of a cow. I'm not drinking that. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> the little times when they were talking about their fights were cute. It reminded me of. Uh, all the dumb shit, like stuff that I used to fight with my sister about. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they're all like definitely things like you could see them fighting about. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they they bicker a lot now, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. These were good chapters for like we were talking about earlier with like Ed and Winry, but like the idea of like people who like bicker just because they've like been around each other so long <laughs> and just like know those arguments like so well, but like you can tell they love each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you can kind of get that in like the like the little bits with Ed now and also um like and when we like arguing about the milk like mm-hmm. like I said I called it a well worn argument between them because like it obviously yes. is like <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of fight where it's like everybody's heard the other person's side before and they haven't actually changed yeah. but then nobody everybody it's just like you say the same thing over and over again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did think that it was. I feel like probably if, if there was a theme that tied some of these, this, because there's like a lot of stuff that happened. This was quite a lot of information that we got. Yeah. And I think if there was something that kind of tied the majority of these 
moments together maybe is like a theme around some kind of like family or um like maybe even found family because like mm-hmm. the fact that you have this so like i mean i think all the the scenes with ed and al and ed al and winry um and even like the scenes where winry goes and visits hughes's house mm-hmm. um and like you know uh I always say her name, Gracia. That's how you said it. I always say it, Gracia. Like a, I mean, not that that <laughs> matters, but like, whatever. Um, when she's talking about Winry and Alicia, and she's like, "Oh, you two look like sisters," or whatever. Like, there's all these little mm-hmm. moments that I think ladder up to there being this running theme through them of of um, finding like connection in a family type situation. And I think that maybe even yeah. extends into the military in this case, like all of the people we know from the military mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. where you have like um fear of bradley being like you can't trust certain people or but then you have like roy and mustang clearly have a have their they're clearly friends good friends and like hawkeye supports roy and all these other things so mm-hmm. yeah anyway that's yeah. it about that so something that that <sighs> we're talking about you know sort of arguing or well, okay. <laughs> what bothers me a lot is um, when Ed and Al get in their fight, um, right? Like, yes. he's he's like, why don't you drink it for me? All right, I forgot you can't. Like, that seemed like an honest mistake. And, like, he definitely kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. My bad. But he's straight up like, I kind of wish I had a big body like you. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. <laughs> That that was a low blow. Like <laughs> no, you made the I mistake. Like that, you were aware of it. <laughs> I feel like that's something that like they would have joked about if Probably. Al wasn't going through his like brooding thing. Like I feel like since oh, Ed's so sensitive gotcha. about being short, I feel like they've definitely had jokes about how Al is currently so much bigger than Ed. Like <laughs> mm, I see what you're saying. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like I see that as the kind of thing that would have just been like a like laughed off like anything else if um you know Al wasn't in a mood. Yes. <laughs> Angsty. Yeah. I don't I just or I I agree with that, but um, I, what bothers me about it is nobody acknowledged Al's feelings. Actually, where Winry's just like, "You're being dumb, buddy. Like you're so dumb." But nobody was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah." Like even Ed wasn't like, "I could see how you would think that." You know, like I don't know. Well, well, okay. So yeah, again, with with Ed, he, well, he that was. makes sense because he it had was dumb. he had a lot of um, uh, sort of pent up feeling about it. Yes, like, and, and in a way, maybe it's like he didn't talk about it for like six years. When yeah, like that's the <laughs> that also blew my well, mind. Well, no, I think it's only been like what two or <laughs> I don't know three how long. When happened, was cause... when did they try to transmute? We've talked about this timeline before. I think uh, I'm not sure if it's said twelve explicitly. or thirteen. They were like like eleven, twelve. Something. Okay, so yeah. three years, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still a long time. That's true, but um, you know, Ed had all those feelings. Like, do you blame me? And like, it's not even where he's at. I think is at a point below that. Like, he doesn't even believe that that like i guess it happened maybe like like you've you've made up this whole story like i'm not i'm i'm not really your brother you made mm-hmm. me up you know the the all that and i feel like i feel like that's a devastating sort of blow yes. like you're exp- like it's yeah. kind of almost like he was expe- he's ready for one whole argument yeah. and all that and he ended up getting something completely different like I can sort of understand him walking Oh, yeah, away yeah, yeah, no, just, no. Yeah. I also just feel like, like, Al is straight up in the wrong here. Yeah, like, true. Like, there's not, I don't think, like, 
Like it you is have to crazy. Be like, your feelings are valid because it's like it's not really. It's like you're mad at me based off something that didn't happen. It's like the, the joke about like being mad about someone for something that happened in a dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. And it is. It was ridiculous. And also when Winry is like, why would he risk his life to like? Mm-hmm. It's like I can understand how Al would like get in that spiral yes. and wind up in that place, but I also don't think like anyone needs to apologize to him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's true. I still appreciate when Rindri banging sense into him with a wrench, though. Yeah. Clearly the best, <laughs> most important thing that had to be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, you know, it's nice that Al gets a chance to be, like, the stupid brother. Yes! Like... <laughs> I had talked about that before. I remember we were talking about... I was like, oh, it's kind of like... Actually, I think maybe we talked about it last time. I forget. Um, I was like, it's Al's finally the one who's like, yeah, this... In the depression spiral. Normally, he's the mm-hmm. steady one, but... We get to see another yeah. side of Al this time too. He can be just as angry as Ed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just a as dumb. dumb. Teenager. Yes, yeah. <laughs> everyone's a dumb teenager, even Hughes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, especially Roy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. We don't. They don't. They get treated like adults so much that I think we are led to forget how young they are sometimes. I mean, we talk about it when bad things happen a lot where they're like, and they're children. But I feel yeah, like we yeah. do sometimes like, we're like, oh, yeah, he should be able to like rationally think through the fact that Ed would never have. Why would Ed like give up his arm and his leg to mm-hmm. create a fake, you know, like a horcrux? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like that's not reality in this in this. Uh, and then like get everybody to play along like. Yeah. Like Winry and Pinako, like. He'd be like, oh. Can you, like, pretend that this soul inside the suit of armor is my brother? Like, what the hell? There's photos mm-hmm. of them and stuff, too, aren't there? I mean, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I guess their house is burned down now, so... Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't have those reminders. It's definitely but... the kind of... Yeah, it's definitely the kind of self-doubt you could only get yourself worked into as a 14-year-old... Boy in a, uh, who's a soul in a suit of armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely true. <laughs> I guess souls can have hormonal shifts, too. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> He did bring up that alchemical theory says that there's a physical body, a mind, and a soul, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is interesting. So does that mean he has a yeah. mind and a soul? Is that different? I think because so, I think I think the mind part would be sort of how he said the memories are like just data, data, yeah, mm-hmm. right. So that's probably the mind and the soul is the actual element of the human. The fe- like the like emotional sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the the sort of individual individuality, like the body, and like, like the essence of being a human being, and then like all the information you gather on your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because when I read that, I was like, "How is a mind different than a soul?" But I kind of understand. It's yeah, it's a, uh, that makes more sense when you explain it that way mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Or the spirit. I can't remember how they they translated as mind, right? Or spirit. I think so. Uh, yeah. Mind, body, and soul. Yeah. Mind, body, and soul. Okay. Um, oh, there was one more thing that. I, yes, I just, you had something. I think it's funny. Well, no, not really. <laughs> but in the in the the scene where uh, Hughes pulls out his gun, yes, uh, and is about to to shoot a little toddler. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. I don't know. It's just again, it's a little bit co- comedic. But I was like struggling to understand that because it just I saw that and I'm like, what is going on here? And it's particularly his eyes. Yeah, he looks so angry. Yeah, well, but I, then I, like, eventually I realized, oh, he's wearing glasses. 
Because I was like, are the little like so shadows? he's evil. He's evil all along. <laughs> we don't have to be sad about his untimely death. Also, I've seen like previous translations of the of Winry's line being like, "You're speaking too much through your actions," <laughs> oh, <laughs> which yeah. I think is funnier. Oh, <laughs> oh that is say? really funny. She just says something about like being too protective, but yeah. Oh, because really like right after that. the whole like you know, like then speak more through their actions yeah, yeah, conversation, yeah. Or whatever. So being like, "You're yeah, speaking too much through your actions." Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. Yes, I think it is more like that. It's one of those ones I like. Uh, I changed for myself in my old, like, annotated uh, <laughs> volumes of the old biz, the old biz translation. You can enjoy it for yourself for later. Yeah. What was the old biz translation? Just like this one. The same it was the same, one? but it's like okay. I mostly changed. I mostly like annotated things that were like straight up wrong. <laughs> um, but once in a while, I was just like, I prefer this line. So. <laughs> I feel like that's legit. Yeah. Again, that's what makes translation interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like talk about all the military drama. <laughs> Oh, Fear of Bradley brought Ed a melon. That's very important. We didn't <laughs> yeah. only briefly mention that. On top of all his other strange behavior. Not that it's strange to bring somebody a melon. Yeah. I love Ed, like, graciously taking it. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole uh, scene where he's there is hilarious. Yeah. Everybody's reactions to him are hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I don't trust him. You can't see his eyes when he's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm gonna feel bad later for not trusting him, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we met a lot of nice people who were bad so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe my trust radar is off for this <laughs> series. <Trust> radar. <laughs> Just every new person comes off. It's like it's bad. They're bad. You're like I'm suspicious. <laughs> suspicious until until they like take off their shirt and dazzle us with their beautiful drawing abilities, and I'm suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alicia Hughes is on screen. You're like, I'm suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> that little girl's got something Three to hide. Something <laughs> Why does she not want her dad dead, huh? Why does she not want him dead? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who in this who are suspicious who don't want people to be dead. So, listen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, why is your dad a human sacrifice? Is yeah, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you in on this the whole time? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Three year old who can, who barely knows that she's three. <laughs> I love the scene where uh, Winry's like, "How old are you?" and she's like, holds up two fingers, and then she's like, three Later, <laughs> yeah. it's adorable. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of cute stuff that happened this time, amongst all mm-hmm. of the horrifying things. Yeah. Oh yeah, we also um, yeah, we were talking about maybe something bad won't happen this time, which was wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but next time, next time we have a chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're gonna get to I go. Do wanna... Well, we're gonna get to see the teacher, and I guess maybe we'll get to go to Mecca for for um, automobile Mecca. Mecca. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I did want to mention. Um, we jumped straight into the conversation, so I forgot about. It. Uh, we passed by the uh, dog of the military guide in. If you're reading along the original oh, Viz yeah. translation, which um, which is just a, a cute little story about Risa adopting a dog, basically. Uh, <laughs> I also forgot to read it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna look at it right now. <laughs> you're like how uh, dare yeah. you <laughs> but yeah it's like one of uh, another member of Mustang's team Fury finds a puppy in the rain and he can't keep it and so he's trying to find other people to take it and everyone else is unsuitable for various reasons <laughs> so when he's not able to find a home uh, Risa takes it in I mean she's the only responsible person in the whole story <laughs> yes. so and she names it Black Hayate who is also named after a, uh, a World War II plane mm. <laughs> is it a Black Hayate is that the name Say, of the plane? Nakajima, or 
Ki-84 Hayate. Okay. <laughs> a single-seat fighter flown by the Imperial Japanese Army Air Service in the last two years of World War II. Oh, it's a cute doggo. Yeah. Um, and this is slightly more plot relevant because, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Hayate does appear in the main series. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, and Al keeps kittens in his armor. That's does the other important, important thing we learned. <laughs> this, like, fake sweating, too. Yeah. You picked up another cat and you're hiding in there, aren't you, Al? <laughs> I feel like I have seen... I remember seeing, like, things in the anime with him with cats. Mm -hmm. Which kind of reminds me of, like, a gorilla holding cats, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because he's a giant suit of armor. <laughs> Roy. The best thing about them is they're loyal. They obey their master's <laughs> commands without question. They don't complain. When they're treated severely, and they don't need to be paid a salary. Yes, dogs are truly man's best servants. Dogs are great. I love them. And then you see Fury in the background, like, I cannot allow this person. Yes. <laughs> 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 Lieutenant Hawkeye has a good heart, according to Roy. <laughs> I feel like um, we still would make a benevolent dog owner. <laughs> Yet strict, of course. Yeah. As stated. Strict but fair. <laughs> she shot around him. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of doggo do you think Black Hayate is? Anyway. Like a... Some kind of Shiba. Yeah, or Shiba. Yeah. He's got the little curly tail and the little pointy ears. Mm -hmm. But he's like the dark version. Yeah. Oh, no, not Kiba. Akita? Akitas are the big black ones? No, no. Wait. No, I think it's just a black Shiba Inu. Maybe. It's hard to tell because it's a teeny tiny puppy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that's uh, dogs. That's, uh, that's everything. Yeah. That's everything everyone got. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I don't have any other things to say. All right. Next is gonna be another uh, a super chapter thing. We're Whoa. gonna read three again. So Do you 17, just like, 18, and nineteen. Is this some kind of sadism thing? Like you yes. just want to keep writing these long <laughs> summaries? <laughs> You're like, they no, all no. Run into each other. <laughs> it's for the plot. The plot. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's no good way to cut off these like three chapters. It's like, That's okay. You know, Fourteen led right into the into the Al and Ed conversation, right? The and then it led right into the Hughes death. The stuff, funeral. So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's just finish all this up, and then we can transition to something slightly better. Going next, hopefully? Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> So yeah, chapters uh, 17, 18, 19 next week. Uh, I'm excited. Oh, no yeah. extras this time? I don't think so. Okay. No more Not doggos? a while. Yep. Okay. Good. Very good. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. So long. Farewell. <laughs> Au revoir, Vietasain. Yes? That's my first champagne. Yes? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you can do what you want. You're over 21. <laughs> <laughs>